0: Welcome to the Marriage Steps podcast. For developing a long-lasting, happy relationship is the status symbol to achieve, and following my six marriage steps is a path to help get you there. I'm your host, Dr. Wyatt Fisher, a licensed psychologist specializing in marriage counseling. The Marriage Steps podcast is listener-supported, so it helps keep it on the air, so couples worldwide can receive hope for their marriage. Please consider becoming a monthly supporter by going to patreon.com/slash Marriage Steps. Quick announcement, if you haven't left me a review already, I'm encouraging all of my listeners to leave me a review on whatever platform you listen to my podcast on. What happens is the more reviews I get, that makes my podcast appear higher on search results so more couples can find it and receive hope for the relationship. So if you haven't already, when the episode is done today, please take a few minutes, maybe even 30 seconds, and leave me a quick review. I would really appreciate it. The marriage tip of the day is avoid using always and never. How often do you use those words when talking with your partner? If you're like most people, you use those words a lot when you're talking about your your partner's behavior to them. You probably say comments like you always or you never. And what happens? The moment you say that, your partner gets defensive because it feels like a blanket statement. And usually it's not true and they're gonna point out how it's not true. That's the first thing out of their mouth. They're gonna talk about how that didn't happen last Tuesday or I didn't do that a year ago Saturday night at six. They're gonna to look to the exception when that, that did not happen because they're feeling mislabeled and that you're, you're painting this broad stroke about them. So avoid using the words always and never and instead you can use phrases like most of the time, Or on average, it feels like. Comments like that take off the edge of making it sound so all or nothing, and your partner will become less defensive. The marriage joke of the day is if you want to get your high libido partner home on time from work, tell them sex is going to happen at 6 p.m. sharp whether they're home or not. (laughs) That will motivate them. Okay, so today is Ask the Shrink Hour. So today is the day where I post on my Facebook page what marriage questions do people have. And a lot of people write in, and then I write down the questions, and I answer them for all of you because a lot of you probably have similar questions. So here's the first one. I'm mad because my partner doesn't invite me to spend time with their adult child. What should I do? So this is obviously a blended family. When you have blended families, it can be really difficult because there's a lot of different feelings, a lot of different alliances. A lot of times the stepchildren aren't very happy about the step stepparent. Uh, all sorts of things can happen, especially when the kids are adults because then you're blending all these family traditions together. So it can it's wrought with issues. I come from a blended family, so I know this firsthand. It can be tricky. There's a lot of landmines you can step on. But one thing I would encourage you to do is talk with your partner about both of your core needs when it comes to your adult kids. What core needs do you have? What core needs do they have? What can you own that you've been doing that's been making things worse with the the stepkids or with your biological kids? What can your partner own? What have they been doing that's been making this topic worse? The goal is you want to stop pointing the finger at each other, stop blaming each other, And instead, uncover your core needs, your core values around these adult kids. What are they for you? Maybe you want to feel included. Maybe you want to feel like you're a team with your partner. Maybe you want to feel like you come first, not their adult kids. Whatever your values are, your core needs, you need to talk about that. And your partner needs to talk about their core needs. And then you want to search for win-wins. How can we maneuver moving forward in a way that's going to honor both of us, not just me, Not just you. Number two, what makes me have a hard time trusting my partner? That can come from a variety of factors. A lot of times we don't trust our partner if they've broken our trust in our relationship with them, which can be very common. They've behaved in ways that's broken our trust. They've done things that have broken our trust. But once in a while, you'll meet someone who doesn't trust their partner, even though their partner has been very trustworthy. And when that happens, usually it's an indication of an insecure attachment. So growing up, children usually have two experiences. The one experience is when you have a caregiver that tunes into you. They track your signals and they respond to your signals sensitively and consistently. And when that's your experience growing up, you develop a sense of trust. You can trust other people. The world is a safe place. And guess what, that secure attachment transfers over to your romantic partner in marriage. You're more open to intimacy. You're comfortable with intimacy. Your default is to give them the benefit of the doubt. You trust them, because you have a secure attachment background. The opposite also can happen. So if you're raised in a home where you did not have a caregiver tuning into your signals, and instead they missed your signals because perhaps they had mental health issues, or they had addiction issues, or they just weren't present, then you're gonna develop a sense of mistrust, that the world is not a safe place, that you cannot trust other people. And you're gonna carry that insecure attachment into your marriage. And so it's gonna be harder for you to trust. You're gonna assume the worst in your partner. You're gonna be distant and detached, most likely, and not very open or comfortable with closeness or intimacy. So if you're in a relationship and your partner hasn't done anything to break your trust, but you still find it hard to trust them, Most likely, the answer lies in your upbringing. You probably have an insecure attachment upbringing. So you may need some help on how to heal from that so you can start trusting your partner more readily and like they deserve. Number three, I'm overwhelmed because I always have to prompt my partner. Do you ever feel like that? In marriage, there's normally a prompter and a doer the problem happens when the prompter becomes the doer and what i mean by that is the prompter is usually the partner who catches all the signals they're watching the relationship they're noticing what their the marriage needs they're watching the kids they're noticing what the kids need more of or less of they're very tuned in and they're they're really watching on a daily basis the signals of everything probably because they had a secure attachment growing up so they're used to watching those signals But then the mistake the prompter can make is the prompter who's watching all the signals then feels like they have to do something about it. They have to do something over here. They have to do something for the marriage. They have to do something for that kid because they feel like their partner won't do it or their partner won't do it in the way they want. And so therefore, they take it on themselves and they notice more things that need help and they take it on themselves. And before long, they're feeling resentful because they feel like almost everything is on their shoulders. And part of that is their fault, part of it is not their fault. The part that is their fault is because they're not delegating enough to their partner to do more. And perhaps they have too high of standards. And so, even if their partner tries it and their partner doesn't do it up to their standard, they take that responsibility back and they start doing it themselves again. So, If you're listening to this and you tend to be a prompter, you tend to be the person who notices all the things that need attention in your relationship and with your kids, make sure that you're not also the doer. Make sure you delegate those items to your partner so you feel like there's an even workload. And you may have to lower your standards at times and just let your partner do it in the way they see fit. And don't view it as a one and done. If you delegate something to your partner to have them do it, Keep the lines of communication open, check in with your partner. How did it go for them? What are their thoughts? What are yours? And then negotiate in middle ground and then have them execute again. So you have to constantly be separating the prompter and the doer so that the prompter doesn't become both. Number four, I'm pregnant and my partner doesn't seem very sensitive. What should I do? Pregnancy is hard. It's a hard time for both partners. Usually the pregnant spouse obviously, understandably, wants a lot of attention because they're in a lot of discomfort. Life is coming to a stop. Everything needs to focus on them. And that's also hard for the other partner because the other partner needs to become very selfless and put their needs on the back burner and focus on their pregnant partner. And so when you're pregnant, and this applies to any stage of life you're going through that stress is mounting, you need to talk more than you normally do. You need to share both of your needs more than you normally do because both of your needs are important. But you have to think about how can we be sensitive to both partners' needs considering the physical limitations the pregnant person is experiencing because you both want to feel supported. You both want to feel loved. You both want to feel like your needs are important, but that may look a little different during the pregnancy phase and after pregnancy. But you wanna approach pregnancy as a unified front, and that's not gonna happen by accident. You have to continually talk about how are you feeling in our marriage? How am I feeling? How can I better serve you? How can you better serve me? So that you feel like you're a unified front moving into, mar- moving into the pregnancy and moving into parenthood after the pregnancy. Okay, last question. How can my partner and I fight less? That's a million dollar question. And so many couples have that question. How can we fight less? We fight all the time. Why do we fight so much? Normally there's two things to think about when it comes to conflict. The first thing is how well are you filling up each other's love bucket? That's a marriage tool that you have to master. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then you probably have a low love bucket and your partner probably has a low low love bucket. Make sure you go to my website and click on marriage tools and look for love buckets. It's a vital tool. And what it does basically is it tunes you in to your partner's top top needs. It helps you to make sure you're starting to fill their top needs and simultaneously reduce the behavior they don't like. Because if you're meeting their top needs, but you're still doing a lot of behavior they don't like, it's pointless. All of your effort meeting their needs won't matter because you're also doing behavior they don't like. So the goal for all of us is to simultaneously do the fillers our partner desires while we stop doing the drainers they don't want. And if you do that long enough, you become irresistible. That's the key to falling back in love with your partner and having them fall back in love with you. So. The first way to combat conflict is to keep your love buckets full because love promotes grace. So, when your love bucket is full, you're going to become more, more gentle with your partner. You're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. You're going to be more gracious because you feel more loved, and vice versa. When your needs are not being met, your love bucket is low, the claws come out. You become more aggressive. You assume the worst in your partner. You have a negative sentiment override. So if you want to reduce conflict in your marriage, you have to hone the love bucket process. You have to learn how to fill up your partner's love bucket and they have to learn how to fill up yours while reducing the drainers. That in and of itself will take care of the majority of your conflicts. You won't feel grouchy with each other anymore. The second way to deal with conflicts is conflict resolution tools. So there's two of those that I teach. The one is the soft startup, that's for mild to moderate complaints, and then there's the floor method, and that's for more intense conflicts where you both have a a say. You both are upset about the topic. So if you don't know what those are, be sure to go to my website, go to Marriage Tools, look for the soft startup, and look for the floor method. Those are the the two tools on how to manage conflicts better. We all need tools on how to handle conflict because we don't do it well naturally. A lot of times when I'm I'm working with with couples, they'll say, I feel like we're a bunch of kids. And they're right. We all are. When it comes to conflict, if we haven't had training, we behave like children because we just don't know how to handle ourselves well. We regress to adolescence during conflicts. We say mean things. We act in childish ways. All sorts of negative stuff happens. So we all need some training on how to handle ourselves well. And that's for the soft startup and the floor method come in. Thank you for listening to the Merit Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode today, be sure to pause right now and leave me a review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. I would greatly appreciate it. Also be sure to go to my website for more marriage resources. It's drwyattfisher.com. com. And if this podcast has transformed your relationship. I would love to have you on the podcast to interview you, to hear your story, because your story will inspire others. So if this has helped you, please send me an email at info at drwyattfisher.com. And remember, your marriage is what? It's alive. So if you nurture it and care for it, it will grow. But if you deprive it and neglect it, it will die. The choice is up to you. Take care.